0: Our scripture reading today is from 2 Samuel 7, 1-17. through 17. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all of his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the Lord dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people to Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and to cut off all your enemies from before you. And I make, and I will make, you, make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place, and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that I have appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declared... <clears throat> And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with this vision, Nathan spoke to David. It's the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Chad. Please pray with me. Father, we praise you for this opportunity to see um, how the covenant with David applies to us. And I pray you would open our eyes to your word this morning. Amen. We've been going through the life of David, the warrior poet. And in this passage, um, he's now in his kingdom. Last week we saw that the ark came in. He brought God into Jerusalem, the city he founded. And now he has this desire to build God a house. And it's a very um, a very amazing, very famous chapter. In fact, one commentator says this is the center, in his mind, of the of the first and second Samuel, of the Samuel corpus. And he even goes further to say, uh, for evangelicals, this is like the center passage of the entire Old Testament. Now, that may sound like a large statement, but his point is, in this passage, you see God's promise and God's gospel. Um, and so we're looking at it, but it begins with this interesting uh, back and forth with David and Nathan, and essentially where God tells David, no. And uh, the movie that came to my mind as I started reading through this, and um, it, it, I hope you've all seen it, It's a Wonderful Life, because I, I quote from it about every third week. Uh, this is the, the premise is George Bailey um, wants to get out of Bedford Falls. He want, it's a Norman Rockwell-like town, but he wants out. And every time he has the opportunity, the answer comes back, No. He just can't escape. He can't get out. Um, is there a picture of It's a Wonderful Life behind me? <laughs> so uh, I'll just let... Hey, just hit, run the clip. No, there's no clips. Um, and so what you find is at the very end of the movie, when he realizes he can't get out, and there's, of course, the tragedy of the lost money, we, we find out that his staying in Bedford Falls all those years radically changed not only his life and his family's life, but the entire town. And it just reminded me as I thought about this passage that God will often tell us what sounds like a no, but it's really a yes. And so as, you, as we look at this passage and look through this, I want you to be thinking about the ways you feel like you've heard the word no in your life and recognize that if you are in Christ, it's always a resounding Yes. The little no's lead to the huge yes. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Um, I'm going to just start by looking at the question and answer in a brief point, and then we'll spend the rest of our time looking at God's reasoning for his answer. So just to remind you of what's going on, verse 2, David makes a statement, which is really a question. He says, "'See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God in a tent.'" And he's noticing he has luxury, he has his home, but the ark's in a tent, and he wants to do something about it. And he asks Nathan, that's essentially his question to Nathan the prophet. Nathan shows up again in a more robust way after the sin with Bathsheba, but this is his first appearance in Samuel. And he says in verse three Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. And then in the very next verse, we find God saying, Never mind. Uh, you don't have to flash it up because I'm paraphrasing that one. Never mind. No, you aren't going to get to do what you wanted. Uh, one commentator said, it's like, you got a building permit which we longed for for years. Remember how long we needed our building permit? And then it was gone. Like, Nathan had to go back to David and say, never mind. You're not building the temple. And so how did David deal with that? Well, or, well we know how he dealt with it. He, once he heard God's reasoning, he rejoiced. But, but why... Did God say no? What was going on here um, in this? Okay, sorry, I got off for a moment. Here's what I wanted to tell you. What struck me, it doesn't have anything to do with the whole theme, but it has to be said because it's here and it's clear, is David is, I mean, he's the king. We saw him last week as a priest. And in this role, we find out later in Acts, he's a prophet. And yet he wants to turn to Nathan with his desire. He wants someone else to verify is this a good idea? And Nathan is a prophet who has direct access to God. He answers him, I don't need to pray. Do it. How could this be a bad idea? And I, I just, as I read that, I, I reminded myself, or it reminded me that often the things that we think, no-brainer, just do it, are from God, right? It's obviously from God. And sometimes it's not. And so we need to remind ourselves that when we have urges and we have thoughts, when we think we hear the voice of God, I'm not saying to, to never trust any of that. What I'm suggesting is have the humility. I think this passage teaches us to go, maybe really, really good ideas aren't necessarily what God wants us to do. Ask people. Pray over them. You know, check, you know take some time. Take a minute. So that's the aside. I thought that was very interesting how really it was Nathan who got it wrong. But coming back to uh, what's going on, D- David wants to build this, this cedar house for God, which is a temple. He wants to create this structure for the ark. And when God says no, um, it, it, it can be frustrating. Like, it can be difficult. How, how do you handle that? Have you had moments where you just were wrestling with the decision you were waiting to get through? Um, one that came to my mind was when I was 25— We'd come back from Japan um, I, for a year. We had a, Grayson was about to be born, and I was told I had a job. It was like, you have this job. It was going to be huge. I was excited, and then I got the call. Actually, we're on a hiring freeze for I don't know how long. And all of a sudden, I'm like, wait a minute. I, I had been medicating myself on, like, the thought of the new job. And uh, I was really – it went on for weeks, which – you know, it sounds comical from this perspective, but at the time, it felt huge. Like, do I have it? Do I not have it? How long is this hiring freeze? And so I went to a, uh, a Bible study where you have cigar and you talk theology. and That's Eddie and Doug's dream, you know, just theology and cigars. We should, we should start that up. Um, and one of the men, afterward we we're sharing prayer requests, he heard me kind of stressing about this, and he said, uh, and by the way, this man has now gone to be with the Lord, was a dear, dear friend. But at the time, he said, Ryan, I know you're frustrated. I know you think you're hearing no. You you think this is huge. But if you could see the big picture, if you could understand the gospel, the way God loves you, your, your adoption, he kind of expressed some of those thoughts. He said, I promise you this would not be as significant. Didn't help me one bit. But he was right. He was right. I remember leaving thinking, he's right. And now I'm even more frustrated because I'm not, I'm not buying into that rightness. And even as I thought about it this week, I remember think, feeling, God, that was a frustrating moment. But he was right. It was good advice. And uh, the reason I think it wasn't jiving with me was um, I didn't understand God's reasoning. And I'm hoping this morning as we transition to the second part of our discussion, we'll understand how the reasoning opens up our eyes to why we hear so many no's. Or why we may just hear a few so strongly. And I want to point out a few of the items I'm thinking of. Like, uh, we have some people in our midst with significant health issues. And, and we pray boldly and often for healing. And so far, the answer has come back, no. Emily and I have a, a dear friend, one of Emily's closest friends in ministry, um, who's single. She's 40, crying herself to sleep often longing for a husband. And so far, the answer's been no. No fault of her own. We don't know the reasons. And I think some of you may have, there's many categories of no, but this is another one that I want to mention. Is just sometimes we struggle, we have urges, maybe the affections of our hearts, a a temptation that isn't in full-blown sin, but it's this, you know it's a desire you wish was gone. And like Paul, you pray that Jesus would just take it away, and the answer comes back, no. Right. So, why? What, what is the point? Why does this happen? And the answer is couch in the fact that there's a much, much bigger yes waiting for you. And we're going to look at that. God unpacks that by giving us his reasons. So this is where we'll spend the rest of our discussion. Uh, why? Why does God tell David no? Um, I'm going to leave 2 Samuel for a moment and take you to Genesis where Hagar, uh, remember, Abram uh, was given Hagar to have a baby by Sarah, Sarai, and they have Ishmael, and then Sarah kicks them out, and now they're out in the desert kind of on their own. And the angel of the Lord comes to Hagar and says, Where have you come from, and where are you going? And it's a beautiful question. Of course God knows where she's come from and where she's going. But it's a way to pull her into that answer. It's a way to pull us into that answer. The question before you this morning, where have you come from and where are you going? And that's something we see in this passage. Uh, God could have just simply said, Nathan, tell David, thus says the Lord. No, his son, one of his sons will build the temple. But he doesn't. He gives great reasoning and I want to read that to you now. So look at verse, uh, he starts in verse 5 by saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this very day. So he's reminding David of his story. Do you remember, David, that that little tent that you think's not significant, that's not sufficient for me, is the very mechanism I use to bring all of Israel out of Egypt. Don't despair of it. Don't downplay it. Do you remember your story, David? And then he brings up the judges. Uh, I think I'm in verse 7, right? He says, In all places where I have moved with with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel? He's now at David's doorstep. Samuel's considered the last judge of the Old Testament. And, of course, Samuel anoints David to be king. And so God is bringing the story right up to the doorstep saying, even in the time of the judges where there was rebellion and where there was crying out and I showed up and, and brought deliverance through Samson, through Gideon and Deborah and others, did I have a cedar house? It's not a bad request. I want you to hear me. David's making a wonderful request. God builds a temple later, but he's letting David understand there's a bigger picture, a bigger story, a bigger yearning I want you to have. And then he comes to David's personal story. In verse 8, he says, Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, he's talking to Nathan, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep that you should be prince over my people Israel. Wow. That that might not strike you, but I want you to imagine you're sitting there and you're David. And the, the oracle of God comes right into your room and says to you, in third grade when that happened, when your mom or dad did that, when this or that happened, I am the God who was with you and brought you through that. David's hearing his history Recounted by Yahweh through Nathan. God is bringing David in, essentially into his own story. He's saying, David, our, he's bringing God into the story. I'm showing you how I was in your story. During seminary, um, we had an assignment to go on a spiritual retreat. And, um, you know, those are hard to do. Like if I said, you yeah, have four hours, go. Go somewhere, do I go to the woods? I I would spend half the time trying to choose, right? Um, I chose to go downtown St. Louis-ish near Washington where uh, Jackson Tidlin will be attending. There's a beautiful campus called Concordia Seminary with a great coffee shop, and I hung out there for my four hours and walked around the beautiful neighborhoods. Um, But there was one thing that had bothered me going into this time that became impressed on my heart. And that was whenever I would talk to my wife about like past stuff, like just, you remember like when we met or you remember like that or anything in the past, I just kind of cringed. I didn't like it. So on this on this spiritual retreat, I just thought, started praying that God would help me remember. I, I had blocked so much of my, and just kind of walking through the story, like I remember going through the different grades and just thinking, what was that? And just, praying, and who were the teachers, and who were my friends, and, and Lord, what was that about? And it was a very enlightening, eye-opening moment, because I felt God's presence saying, your story matters. Like, your story didn't just start when you became a Christian, or it doesn't matter because it's all behind you. Your story is important, and I would encourage you to go into your story, to realize that God was there, and just like with David, it's, a, it's an access to understanding what's happening in your present world. In fact, um, I, I said this this morning, and I don't know how it went, so I'll try it again. Um, I'm not a good planner. Like, that's a historical truth about me. I'm trying to get better, so don't label me. But when it comes to planning, my wife's amazing, and I'm awful, and what I've noticed is people that plan well, it's not theory. Like, hey, we're having this event next week. Okay, okay. People that plan well, it's as if they've stepped into the future and they begin to plan. Like, it's real. That, those of you that are planners are like, yeah. The other people are like, huh? Well, if the reason I probably don't like it is it's work and it's like questions and there's uncertainty. So I just say, ah, oh, I'll just figure it out there and I pretend to plan. You know, I'll show up at this time. We'll have some food. You know, we'll do Whatever. But real plan- And well, you can't do that because this won't be there and that doesn't show up. That's why the deacons love me in the time of the building. It's like the deacons are like amazing planners. They're like, you know, there's not enough parking spots. I'm like, what? Well, in the same way, the past. The truth is when you think about the past, unfortunately or fortunately, you have to, your, your mind is traveling there. It's as if you're re-experiencing it. And that's very hard. And so a lot of us think, well, I'll just shut that out, or I won't go there. And the truth is, if you won't go in the past, and you won't dream about your future, then you can't live in reality in the present. And then God is showing David that he can enjoy this kingship, enjoy his reign, enjoy all the blessings, but he's got to realize he's come from somewhere, and he's going somewhere. And so let's look at the future where he's going he says to him in verse 9, past tense, I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And then future tense, and I will make you a great name. He tells him, I'll make you a great name. Um, I'll, I'll make you a great place. I'll give you rest. Um, I know a lot of you feel stressed and the thought of rest is amazing and I feel the same way, but for a king like David, what he's saying is, I will, I will give you a season where there's nobody always on the attack. Like, that's what his kingship was defined by. Like, the next enemy that's going to come down. Sometimes it may even more than one attack. And so, to the thought of rest was just had to be amazing and gripping. And then look at verse 11. God's continuing, From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give, oh, he's explaining how long he's been with them, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. David said, God, I'm going to build you a house. God has spent a lot of time to say, no, no, no. I'm going to make you a house. I'm going to make you a dynasty. The same Hebrew word What it means for David is temple. I'm going to build you a temple. What God means is I'm going to build you into a kingship, a dynasty that goes on forever. I mean, if you're David and you hear all these promises, then no gets a lot easier, doesn't it? It's like, fine, fine. Solomon can build it. I don't care who builds it. This is amazing. Rest. And Israel will have a place to exist. And my kingdom will go on forever. And I want you to know that's true for us. God is promising you that there's a bigger answer, a bigger yes. Test me on that. Test, test God on it. Do you believe me? Or are you are you doubting? Eh, you know, what about this? What about that story? What about this? Well, there is a, there is a bit of a catch, and it's a wonderful catch. You ready for it? You have to die. Cheer up. The Jack Miller doesn't just say, cheer up, you're worse than you think. He adds another one. Cheer up, you get to die. That's what Christianity is about. Look at verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. What? You just told me I'm going to have all of this, and now I'm hearing I'm going to die and lay with my fathers. What? For David... And for us, it's actually a, a, a moment of rejoicing because what he is saying is, I'm going to build you something far greater than you've ever asked for, something that's never been seen before. In fact, you see that in verse 13. He says, he shall build, he's talking about David's offspring, a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And then again in 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. When he hears that, David recognizes two things. One is certainly there will be offspring that do things, like build the temple, but that there will be one day, someday, one of his offspring that establishes his kingdom forever. Um, as I was preparing this sermon, I, I tend to try to read the Bible as well, and uh, one of the best ways to do that is a Bible reading plan. And I was at that point where it's time to go back to the beginning of, of Matthew. And so I went to Matthew, and I've read it, you know, enough that I, it's tempting to think, well, I mean, I'll just kind of skim and scam. It struck me. I don't know why I didn't know about it. The very first words, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, I did know that much. But then listen to this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Wow. Son of David, son of Abraham. David somehow was was being re- this prophecy was being revealed to him that God had a plan so much bigger than just answering that very good desire. You have a great desire and it's the only way we can make sense of the tragic struggles in our lives, is if you realize they are, they are there and they are part of a process, but it's going to lead to the culmination of heaven. And every one of you, cheer up, you will lay with your fathers and mothers. You will die. Right? That's, that's bad news. No, it's not. Christian, it's time that we say, wait a minute. That's the story of the gospel. Like, our Savior, he died right? And he rose. And, and so now what we really can say is we won't die, but this life will come to an end. And whatever grieves you is temporary. Now, what's amazing about this passage, I spent 20 minutes talking with Doug about, is it Solomon? Is it Jesus? And what I, we both realized together is yes, it's both and. So, so God's telling David, you're connected to the future, it's not just, don't worry, do what you want to do, then you die. It's, no, you're actually physically connected, but, but nonetheless, it's not going to happen the way you think. And, and Jesus is not what David fully understood at this time. So I want to read you um, from Acts 2, where this becomes more clear. Acts 2, starting in verse 29. Brothers, this is, let me set this up. This is Peter. At Pentecost, Jesus rose from the dead. He lived for 40 days, and then he ascends to heaven, and then he sends his Holy Spirit in power, and Peter, Peter speak, preaches this sermon at Pentecost. And as he's doing so, he's just quoting all over the Old Testament. He quotes from Joel, which we already talked about. He quotes from many places, and it's like it's coming to life right before him. This is what it was all about, Jesus. And he comes to, verse 29, he comes to... Uh, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter is giving us inside information into how David heard that covenant and understood it in time. That though Solomon would later come and build a temple, that it points to something far greater, far bigger. And you have to look at part, when you try to figure out well, what about things like um, in verse in verse 13, he talks, oh no verse, I'm sorry. yeah, he's talking about his offspring. in verse 13, "He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish his kingdom forever." Verse 14, "I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men." Solomon did commit iniquity. Jesus did not sin, right? Solomon. Uh, eventually left, and in some ways left the faith. I mean, it's hard to know to what degree and how it went. And there is this promise that I will love him even as he sins. But Solomon never had the stripes of the sons of men. So did Jesus ever have sin put on him? Um, And then you remember Isaiah 53, 5 and 4 and 5. Surely he was born our griefs and carried our sorrows Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His stripes we are healed. Do you rest in the fact that Jesus, the Son of David, has your future in mind has you taken care of he 's taken your sins he 's taken them to the cross, your sins past, present, and future, and you are no longer who you were before he entered your life. Is that something that you meditate on? Are you longing for heaven or are you stuck with what we all often struggle with with just the things right around us, whether it 's large issues that are heartbreaking? or whether it's just the mundane things, a job not coming through, um, other, other disappointments with a million little no's, how are you appropriating this future you have in Jesus? Um, the reason I thought of It's a Wonderful Life was for this actual illustration. Uh, you don't have to put it back up there unless you're just are really on your no. there's this There's this place in the movie where George Bailey heard no yet again. I think it's his brother's wedding party, and he walks out and he's just despondent, and um, his mom tries to encourage. Anyway, he goes downtown and he comes to Violet. Remember Violet? She was sort of the town. Oh, I don't want to use the I said tramp earlier. Is that bad? But, I mean, isn't that. Con- I mean, I don't know what she was. She's a wonderful girl. Um, she played Ado Annie in Oklahoma, just FYI. Great actress. Okay. And she likes George. And George Bailey doesn't really necessarily ever like her. But all of a sudden, he says, Violet, let's make a date. Let's make a night of it. And she just is like, yes. And there's all these guys kind of around her. But she's ready to leave and go hang out with George. And then he continues to describe this date he has in view. I think I brought the wrong paper. That's why you don't want to walk to your office and grab your notes. But I remember it. He says, Violet, let's... Let's go up to the tall grass and take our shoes off and walk in the grass. Huh? Let's, let's go. There's a lake up in the hills. Let's go up to the lake by the Bedford Falls and swim and stare at the moon. And she's just kind of like incredulous. Let's clout, climb Mount Bedford, which I'm like, there's a Mount Bedford? There's anything you want in Hollywood. Let's climb Mount Bedford and then come down and watch the sunrise. And she's finally like, George Bailey, you have lost your mind. And then you see a bunch of guys uh, laughing at him. And Why did I think of that? She had a desire, and it was actually a really good desire. George Bailey was like the guy that you would want to marry in Bedford Falls. And she had a desire to be with him, to go on a date, to eat a meal, whatever, but he was trying to show her what true living looks like. He was showing her, he was enveloping her with a vision that he enveloped this entire town with that made it what it was. Of course, it's all fiction, but made it what it was because it's like, this is, these are beautiful things. Do you desire enough? Do you desire deep enough? Are you desiring long enough? Are you okay with the life God has given you, knowing that there is this future glory and it's breaking in now. And it's by staying and being in these difficult places where we think we're hearing no, that often all the growth happens. I mean, I didn't say this this morning, so some of you have heard this twice, but I've had a lot of jobs and, uh, and with the goal of getting to ministry. But one of the things I, I noticed was whenever you get to a, a, a time in a job that's beyond where you've ever been, like you start to go, I'm learning stuff. Like, but if, I just, if you just change jobs every time you feel like it, you don't learn anything. And so for me, in like RUF and now in this ministry and other times, when it, when it gets longer and you're staying, and I'm staying, but you begin to go, wow, I'm dealing with things I've never seen before. Because in the past, for whatever reason, it was time to move or, is you know, whatever. And so I think when you are living in your life in the hardship, that's where growth happens. My grace is sufficient for you. But my hope is not that you just say, okay, like when I drove away from that house where the man offered me the advice. I want you to develop a vision for how Jesus can bring his glory into that current situation. Long for heaven, which we're going to celebrate in just a moment, but long for it to break into that difficulty as well. That's where growth happens. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for David. We thank you for his request. We thank you for your denial, that even David could get it wrong. Lord, it's not that the request was wrong, but it's that you had a bigger plan. And we lose sight of that. We know the Scriptures. We believe in heaven. But sometimes, Lord, our view view can get so earthly focused that we forget of all the glory that awaits us. Lord, I pray we would long for heaven in such a way. Long for you. Long for glory. Long for true rest in such a way that we could handle the difficulties here so much more uh, gloriously, um, honoring you, loving our neighbors well. Um, Lord, will you make that possible for your glory? Amen.